Hi, and welcome to the Deeper Than Money podcast. I am your host, Chloe Elise. I'm a millennial money coach, speaker, dog mom, and a seven on the Enneagram. And I am on a mission to prove to you that finances can be fun and easy. On the Deeper Than Money podcast, we will dive into all things millennial finance, debt, saving, mindset, and how to have financial freedom to enjoy life in your 20s and 30s. I want you to leave this podcast with more confidence around your moolah and the belief that your biggest financial dreams are possible for you. So let's talk money. Welcome back to the Deeper Than Money podcast. Our next guest is Matt Linsky. He is the market president of the Kansas City, Missouri Global Commercial Banking Bank of America. As market president, Matt Linsky is Bank of America's leader in the Kansas City, Missouri market. He connects businesses, families, and individuals to the banking and investment teams that will help improve their financial lives. He also leads the work to deploy Bank of America's resources across the market and the region to address social and economic concerns and build strong communities. Matt has been with Bank of America for more than 14 years after starting his career as an intern in dealer financial services. For the past 13 years, Matt has worked in global commercial banking, in credit products, and as a relationship manager the last six years. He holds a Series 7, 24, and 63 FINRA designations. Matt was also a part of the team that developed Peer Profiler, which is used every day as an advisory tool to help deliver strategic ideas to global commercial banking clients. You are going to absolutely love this podcast of hearing Matt talk all things money. Let's dive in. Matt, welcome to the Deeper Than Money podcast. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what motivated you to get into finances. Thanks, Chloe, and really thank you for the opportunity today. I'm excited about this. So a little bit about myself. I consider myself a blue-collar banker, um, having grown up uh, in the manufacturing business through my father's jobs and various uncles. And it was my father and those, those uncles that I got to watch from afar that motivate me on getting into finance. Numbers were always fascinating to me. My father's an engineer by trade. Um, The ability to to watch him and others work uh, and think about numbers and people, it kind of played into my own personality. Um, I enjoy uh, being around crowds and being around people. I enjoy, um, you know, just really having conversations and knowing that numbers, and and I say numbers and math, the basics came pretty easy to me. Um, I wasn't no uh, you know, physics expert or anything of that uh, degree. But mm-hmm. that whole part made it simple for me in college to think about going into a career that wasn't around some part, part of finance. And mm-hmm. in the beginning, I wasn't necessarily uh, put into, was it going to be personal finance? Was it going to be corporate finance? Was it going to be working as an analyst for a company? It was more just about numbers. And I knew I needed to be around teams and a culture um, to allow for my kind of personality to come out. So that's my, that was my, I guess, my stint into how this all happened. That is amazing. And so now that you are in, in finances and at Bank of America, 
What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that you see specifically millennials making with finances? I think part of the mistakes, um, and I think a lot of them are rectifying it nowadays. I think the part of it is just, just sitting down and taking time. Um, and, and we all know time is a very precious asset in itself. But for those that sit down and, and just make a plan, uh, I'm a spreadsheet and a post-it note kind of guy. Um, mm -hmm. Pros and cons lists, I think, are important, uh, to at least me. I feel like, you know, millennials can benefit from just taking that time, whether they call it a pros and cons list, uh, whatever they want to name it, just taking time to write down the things that are important to you, that you value, um, as you go about thinking about um, those decisions that are going to involve, you know, paying for it with cash, using some sort of financing, thinking about the future. I think the, the challenge that a lot of us have is, you know, just really committing and giving ourselves that opportunity to just freely think, you know, away from the distractions of our mobile devices and other things, to just think about what's ahead of them. You know, whether they are, you know, whether they are 21 or 30, it doesn't matter. I think it's just making sure you commit that time to yourself. That's amazing. So going off of that, do you think that currently high schools and colleges are properly preparing millennials to go on and be able to handle their finances? I think both are doing as good as they can given all the other competing priorities and pressures out there, um, all, you know, along, alongside the extracurriculars that come with both of those. So I think schools have gone a long, long way. It helps with their, um, you know, probably the states that they're in and the government helping them think about putting this as an important aspect. But I think corporations have also stepped in to say, well, we can be there, even if you're not using, example, Bank of America. Um, our better money habits, our, our tools in partnership with the Khan Academy, those are geared to help millennials. They, as I said earlier, time being a precious asset. These sound bites for, you know, how to lease a car, you know, do you, do you buy it, do you lease it, um, how to save for the future, just budgeting, budgeting 101. Mm -hmm. They're short, five, seven, ten-minute videos. And I think corporate America has, you know, stepped up to the challenge of helping just supplement what our schools uh, have done, our educators have done to try to help, you know, students as they prepare in this journey. Awesome. That's amazing. So going off of that, how do you feel about, for millennials, buying a car versus leasing a car? Personally, for me, um, I, I've never looked into leasing a car because of where I live. I, I always have a decent commute in terms of miles I'm going to put on it. So knowing the restrictions of a lease, you know, for me, it was never an option. And I also, um, while I like going and looking at cars and seeing the new features, um, I prefer to have a car for several years and, and, and not go back to that experience. Um, I, I think it's, it's a lot of fun, but it overwhelms me personally. So for me, it was always buying a car. But for everyone out there, they just need to, again, evaluate the pros and cons. What are your basic expenses? How far do you drive? Um, not, not only to work, but for your social life. And, and maybe you volunteer in the community. And so to go volunteer, you're going to drive an extra 50 miles every two weeks. You've got to just, you know, again, sit down and think about that decision, not just in the moment of what the vehicle is going to give you in terms of, um, you know, technology and advancements, but is it going to allow you to, to pursue not only this purchase, but the next thing? And the next thing might be um, mm -hmm. investing. It might be a home. Thinking about the coverage of the insurance, you know, versus the lease versus the buy, the expenses of the actual automobile itself. 
And for us at Bank America, you know, we refer anybody really, millennials included, but to our tips on buying a car. And there's seven tips on our Better Money Habits website that help you think about the, that buying and leasing. And, and really, it's geared to give that um, audience the opportunity to sit and pause, to see the pros and cons of each one, um, knowing that 40% of our millennials actually carry some sort of auto debt. Those types of mm-hmm. facts hopefully just allow them to just let it sink in and resonate on, you know, do I want to carry debt for X years and own the car, or do I want, you know, peace of mind of, you know, a payment over a couple-year period, and then I get to trade it in and go get something different? And what's the, what's the mm-hmm. opportunity cost of those things? Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. And you touched on this a little bit um, when talking about a car, but when it comes to housing, do you think that it's smart for millennials to rent a little bit longer and pay off debt, or do you recommend jumping more so right in and buying a home earlier on? I promise my first answer is going to be the one that people will all say, well, that's the easy answer. It depends. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I will elaborate on it. I mean, it, it depends on how much debt you have. You know, if, if, you're, if you came out of a mm-hmm. situation with school and other things, uh, you know, maybe you went through some personal crisis that, you know, resulted in substantial debt. I think, you know, there's, there's special situations that need that attention. If we're just talking about a student that graduated with a little bit of car debt, uh, revolving debt, and maybe some student loans, they, they again, they, they need to think about the um, – why are they doing it, you know, and, and are, they, are they at their permanent job? Uh, so I'll pick an age. You're 26 years old. You've been out of school for a couple of years. You know, maybe you're living in Kansas City, Missouri, or you're living in Chicago, or you're living in Nashville. Is that where you're going to be forever or at least in the next three to five years? Is the company mm-hmm. you work for, um, are they global? Are they just nationwide? You know, is there an opportunity that your advancement or what you want to do has you leaving that market? So, you know, they should factor in those things because obviously you don't want to buy a home and have to worry about trying to sell it in a year. There's a lot of costs associated with it. Um, understanding the mortgage rate, understanding, you know, maybe right now is not the time because of your current debts, you don't qualify for the best rate. And what does that mean mm-hmm. to look at, you know, you know, a rate that's half a percent lower? And will, will they have funds to maintain the home? You know, uh, things like just mm-hmm. buying a lawnmower and tools, um, you know, if something breaks and you are not handy like me, then you need to call somebody. <laughs> um, do they have the down payment money? And so I think with everything, we just have to pause and say, well, what? this isn't about the now. This is about the next three or five years. Is this the right decision for me? And if I pursue buying the home, what's it going to allow me to do? Uh, am I going to have to change my financial DNA and how I go about spending just to maintain this home? And therefore, you know, I won't be able to focus on um, you know, paying down the other debts. So I guess the, mm-hmm. the answer back is I hope they do one of, one of two. Um, you know, if they buy a house, then they hope they pay off the debt. And if they, if they pay off the debt, I hope they start also saving for a house. We just hope that mm-hmm. people uh, don't go out there and choose neither and, you know, try to rent and then also not worry about making, you know, either payments <laughs> to reduce their debt or trying to build a savings for the house payment in the future. Yes, exactly. I love that. Awesome. So going on into investing, this is another thing that I get asked about all the time. Do you recommend that millennials focus on paying off debt before heavily investing, or what, what are your thoughts on that? So I mentioned earlier, I'm a spreadsheet post-it note guy, and I'll let you form your own opinion about me and my personality, but post-it notes right <laughs> now, I'm staring at about 16 on my desk. Um, 
for me, I think it's starting early. And it's more about the discipline. Um, there's certain things that the way my mind is wired, if I start on it, if I contribute to it, investing, for example, no matter how small, I, I started early because I knew that I would continue it. And it's, I think it goes for everything we do, you know, whether it's uh, exercising, uh, whether it's, you know, taking time for yourself away from your mobile devices. You know, it's for me, I have to start early on things so that over time I develop a good habit. I would say for millennials, you know, pay yourself first. There's an advantage to getting in early. There's an advantage to that discipline. Um, and I think the good news is our millennials are practicing that today. They're making progress towards those goals. Uh, in the past year, 15% started saving or investing and have grown those investments. And then 68% of millennials, based on what we find, would rather pay off debts quickly to make the sacrifices along the way. I still think that, you know, there's a way to pay off debt and invest, and you just got to find that balance yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's just taking time to outline what you think you know, your next several years are going to be. Because if those millennials look back, especially ones that are fresh out of school, look how fast the last four years went. And look at all the decisions you had to make some thrown at you, some not. Well, now's that time to sit and pause and say, what do I really want to accomplish by, you know, 26, 30, 32? What's important to me now? And it may change as, as new things enter someone's life. But if you save today, you're probably not going to regret that when you're 45. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say something that millennial parents, so that, that boomer age range, what is something that they did a great job of that has kind of gone out of style and vice versa? What is something that you see millennials now doing a great job of that older generations should consider start doing financially? So I think the thing that I, I reflect on um, where parents have done a good job for the millennials, I believe, and again, it's just, Based on what we see in society, we live in a go, go, go environment. Um, everybody has got to get somewhere fast next, right? Whether you're in line at Starbucks, whether you're going to your next meeting, your next, you know, your next business meeting, whether you're getting kids to practice after school. Um, so I, I, I think the, what our parents did or some parents did in the past is they talked about it openly. You had that dinner table conversation. I'm a father of two young boys. And, you know, those are things I hope that we can have with our kids is just be open about things. So they understand. I mean, the way my parents taught me, we talked about family vacations. We talked about um, me having the newest, you know, Michael Jordan shoes and that there's a cost to those. And if I wanted those, then other things are going to have to be given up, uh, you know, trade-offs. So I don't know that it's happening day in, day out across uh, the nation in the household because I feel like you know, we, we all, and I'm guilty of this, we're all living a very fast-paced life. What I think millennials do a good job of today, and I wish I could say this is according to my own, you know, basic knowledge, but I work for a great company, and I, this great company has a lot of great data points, and we purposely share it out there to uh, help millennials, but also help just provide some guidance on, you know, the state of our consumers. And millennials are starting to save earlier. Um, mm-hmm. and millennials right now are saving at age 24. Gen X started at age 30. Baby boomers started at age 33. To answer your question, I probably can't do it correctly. Um, I can't necessarily go back and say, well, what would a baby boomer, you know, what could they do today? If they're not saving, you know, obviously they should start focus on savings. Um, as the financial world has changed, and, and not just because of this year, 2020, but just over the last probably decade, it's evolved to more of a solutions-oriented opportunity. Um, 
So walk into one of our financial centers or better yet, use your mobile device and, and you can set up an appointment that allows you, whether you're a millennial or a baby boomer, if you've got to think about what is important next, take time to talk to an advisor, someone that you know is there to give advice, there to show solutions and tools um, to help you think about a plan. Uh, for us, it's our Merrill Edge Financial Solutions Advisors. Uh, they're, over at, they're at 2,000 of our financial centers, uh, but you can also get them over the phone. And you're just going to have a chance to talk to somebody that had that same conversation that you're thinking about. They've had that conversation three, four, five times today or maybe ten times over the last week. And they've, they've mm-hmm. heard every uh, excuse for why we don't save. They've heard every opportunity. Their job is to kind of be that sounding board to help the individual think, well, what, what can I afford? What makes sense? Mm, amazing. Okay, great. So going into, you know, you're talking about millennials. If you could go back and give your 25-year-old self financial advice, what would that be? What would that look like? Um, for me, I think it's, it's lived to a number. And ironically, um, I've given this advice to uh, some of the millennials that I get to interact with today. When I first started out of school, um, again, I worked very fortunate. I worked for a company that uh, believed in rewarding their employees and, you know, annual raises were something you would get. I wish I would have stuck to the number that I made at a certain age based on the expenses I had and just taken every nickel of my other, my raise, you know, if it was one or 2% a year and just put that away either for true retirement or put it into a fund, uh, a fund for my first house or my next automobile. You know, instead mm-hmm. for several years there, I continually tried to, you know, if my salary increased, I lived to that number, and I realized after a couple of years I didn't need to. So I probably learned my mistake five years into that, so I would definitely go back now and say, I've got to live to a number. Um, and even if you get a bonus of $50 or $100, putting that away um, is important. You know, you need to stay grounded with that. So if you've got a $100 bonus, maybe reward yourself with $25, you know, a, a meal out, buying a T-shirt that you want, um, you know, downloading something that you want to have to watch at your house, whatever it may be. But also, you know, put some money away and don't just live to that new hundred. Don't just spend it. Amazing. Great advice. Mistakes I made. I love that. That is great. And so, so many listeners are going to find that so helpful. So thank you for that. Okay, going into the next question, how do you foresee the market acting over the next year? <laughs> Uh, that is a, a challenging question. Um, <laughs> well, given where we are, we're, we're a week away from an election. I guess my own view on the market is there's going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be surprises. And so if you are focused on you know, investing and if you're starting out as a millennial, the $100 you're putting in the market today isn't about tomorrow. It's about the long run. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's avoiding the, 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 the disruption. You know, some may call it the noise that happens, you know, week in and week out with the market. It's staying to a goal and an objective. I wish I could predict the market. I probably wouldn't be in the position I am today if I could. Um, you know, my view <laughs> on what the market's going to do is, like, I can guarantee there's going to be some surprises. I can guarantee there's going to be some good earnings out of the great companies that, you know, are in the United States that help us um, produce great jobs here that help us, you know, invest back into um, paying taxes, invest into the government, by help us invest in the community, those companies are going to continue to do well. Companies are going to continue to innovate. 
And for those that continue to innovate, we're going to see companies continue to outperform. Um, but really, if, if we gear back to what your uh, podcast is about and what your focus and, and your great work you do, thank you for that. If you're a millennial and you're listening to this, avoid the noise. You know, you don't have to go after the the you know, the, the key uh, media stock that people talk about. Just focus on putting a number in, in the market and doing it over and over. Because if it goes up or down, as long as you're consistently doing it, dollar cost averaging, then over over your objective, your three, five, ten, or forty years, you will be better off than you were today. So good. So good. This is amazing advice. Okay, so speaking of more advice, if, if millennials are listening to this and they want to take this to the next level and start learning more, what are some good finance books that you have read that you recommend specifically for millennials? So I love this question, and thank you. Um, and I will at least say that I, have, I am not an author of any of these books, but these are ones that I've read I've given out as well as, uh, to individuals um, I've met along my kind of career journey. Richest Man in Babylon is a very, very easy read. I want to say it's 120-ish pages, and it talks about several of these questions. And it was something instilled in me that I read probably 20-some years ago about paying yourself first, you know, what you have to do. And it dates back to a long, long time ago, years that we can't even think about or imagine. But it, it talks about, even before the, the, the money that you and I know today was around, it was about paying yourself before you paid others, you know, investing in yourself, take care of oneself. Mm -hmm. uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think is another great book that, you know, has, uh, is an easy read. It, it doesn't get too deep into numbers, and it helps, mm -hmm. you know, the reader have a perspective on the future. And then the one that always got me, um, and I was guilty of this in high school because I thought about materialistic things. Um, and I thought if I saw something particular that looked expensive, then therefore that individual, that family, they had, you know, they, they had money. And mm -hmm. when I read The Millionaire Next Door and I reflected on mm -hmm. The Millionaire Next Door and I read it over and I think about it, I, again, I can go back to your question two ago and go back to myself and say, well, first, quit thinking about um, material like I did, but reflect on that. See how individuals, other families may lead their lives and what you get to glean from that. And The Millionaire Next Door is a great book that, at least for me, it helped tone down my perception of the world and it helped me really think a little bit more uh, reasonable about what others may have and myself. Mm, so good. I love all three of those books. Those are incredible recommendations and makes you think a lot the difference of societal worth of what we see versus, you know, your net worth of what's actually going on behind closed doors. So that's amazing. Great recommendations. Okay, so a lot of my clients are really focusing right now on building their credit. What are some ways that you recommend for millennials and younger to either start building credit from, you know, start from scratch or just whatever they're working with, build their credit? So your questions are just outstanding because you built on a lot of things that kind of get it to this point. So I, I tip my cap, my virtual cap to you. Um, establishing good habits is the key. So those habits of, you know, saving early, of thinking about your objective. So talked earlier about a car and a house. If those are things you want to purchase, chances are you just didn't wake up today and say, you know what, I'm going to buy a house. So you have to plan for it. And a big part of that is, well, can I afford it? The affordability mm -hmm. factor is your FICO score. 
you know, do you have a credit score that warrants you the best borrowing rate and terms? And if you don't, well, what do you need to do to, you know, improve that? And if you are new to the credit world, what do you need to do to establish a score? So I think the, the opportunities, you know, our, our better money habits, again, talk about credit score, talk about ways to uh, achieve a credit score, ways to focus on improving a credit score. You know, little things like lenders don't like to see you use all of your available credit, even if you can afford it. You know, trying to keep your borrowing uh, below a, you know, certain percentage, 25, 30% of your available credit. It's understanding those things that I think, and again, I look back to a long time ago, things I didn't realize, um, you know, were important mm -hmm. to the eyes of the credit score and how the credit score is determined. And then it's checking on those things. Um, I know numerous times a year, even to this day, I think about, Oh, you know, I need to look at my credit score, but I, I have angst because then what if, what if you find something that is not supposed to be there? Now you've got to figure out mm -hmm. how to fix it. Well, the important thing is you have to look. You've got to look at it, and you take a look at it. You make sure, you, again, you put this in your plan of just taking some time for yourself. And that time is take a look at your credit score because by law, once a year, consumers are able to check their score from each of the three reporting bureaus, and there is no impact to you. There's no inquiry mm -hmm. cost, if you will, of that credit score. Exactly. And I, I think that's such a big myth, too, that so many people think, especially millennials, think that if I check my score, it's going to hurt my score, so I can't look, and then I won't know, and so I can't take action. And so it's so great to touch on that. Thank you so much. All right, so what are some tools that Bank of America offers that can help millennials save money or start investing? And what are some of the big things that Bank of America does that differentiates differentiates Bank of America from other banks? Well, I'd say thank you first for the question. Um, I talked about better money habits. Better money habits is our way of you know, giving back to our customers, giving back to really society and providing some free tools available to help you think about everyday things you're going to come across. So you know, that's probably number one. The second is how our company, the banking industry has evolved. And in that evolution, financial centers are not just places to go to make a transaction. Um, really, that customer service representative, they've got expanded roles. It's not about the transaction. They, want to, they care about your success. They want to make sure they understand what you're thinking about, what you're needing. And so I guess our main resource is having the scale we have in terms of personnel. I talked about 2,000 what we call Merrill Edge financial advisors. Uh, in, in our centers, across 2,000 of our centers, we have all these individuals there that are there ready to take your appointment and take your appointment via a mobile app that you can set up. So you can come down, sit, talk, and get that advice and get that time with somebody to get a few things kind of out in the open. What are your objectives? Have you thought about this? Um, what about the next thing? Have you saved, you know, do you have your $1,000 saved for an emergency? Why should you have that type of thing? So for us, um, the industry's changed, you know, this year, especially digital and how innovation is key. You know, we want to, we want to keep people safe. Uh, we want to keep people healthy. So our platform, our digital mobile app allows people to do so much without having to leave their home and they do it at their own time. Because if you've got a situation where you're taking care of kids after, after your day, after work, you've got other things to, you know, occupy your time, you might have to do the stuff at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Well, you can still do all those things. You can make the appointment you need when you need to go into a center. 
And you can find out just on your mobile app all the things you would need to have that conversation about investing, about buying a home, about you know getting an auto loan, about your credit score. You can learn so much remotely that positions you to come in and be efficient with your own time when you walk into a financial center. Oh my gosh, absolutely, that is amazing. And we will link the Better Money Habits um, in the show notes of this podcast. So if you're listening to this, you want to go and check that out, we will link that there for everyone. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was incredible information for everyone listening, and I'm sure so many will go and check it out. Thank you so much. And everyone listening, I will see you back next week for another episode of the Deeper Than Money podcast. 